Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning, and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We are promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and we are here to empower you, our listeners, to help you know and impact the world around you. That's what we're here for. That's what we strive to do every time we get on the air. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Several ways you can do that. The primary way, if you want to get your thoughts live or comments live on the air, you can do so by calling the number 347-237-5230. That's the number to call uh, to get your comments live on the air. Also, the chat room is open, so you can go to uh, Block Talk Rap Radio and um, log into the chat room and share your thoughts there. Also, go to our Facebook page, Zero Network on Facebook. Like that page. You'll catch up on all archive shows from from long ago <laughs> up until last week. However long we've been doing it, you'll be able to catch up there. And you can also share your thoughts, comments on there. And you you can even leave us suggestions on shows that you think or topics that you think might be interesting for the audience of Zero Radio today. We appreciate it. Um, follow us on Twitter. The show handle is Zero Radio at Zero Radio. That's the show handle. Uh, my personal handle is at Prophesy. Follow us on um, where else are we on? <laughs> you know, it's so much stuff, man. I tell you. Go visit my web page, LorenzoTNeal.com. That's our, our web, page, web page. You can find uh, interesting articles, things of the nature, of course, uh, uh, show, archive shows, things of the nature. A lot of stuff going on. Uh, hold on, I'm trying to get uh, my 
screen up and you know it was it really was it's going crazy this morning but you know that's that's how it is sometimes technology it is holy week and we are excited about that we'll talk a little bit more about that uh later on i'm excited i'll be joined uh later by a very uh very uh distinguished gentleman educator author motivational speaker and founder of Real Men Connect, Dr. Joe Martin. He'll be joining us, and we'll be talking about helping good men become uh, great men and um, things of that nature. We'll talk about uh, discipleship and mentoring with him. And, of course, this being Holy Week, we cannot go on without talking about why we, as Christian believers, Celebrate what we celebrate this week. It's an exciting week leading up to the greatest day, the greatest observance in all time, the resurrection of the Christ. And so that's what we we are excited about. We'll talk about that a little bit, a little more. Uh, get some headlines today. Uh, this comes from the old black church, Ann Brock and her site. You go there, you find some great uh uh, uh, current news in the church But of course last week we announced The passing of gospel great Gospel legend uh, Pastor Darrell Coley Who passed away And lost his battle to cancer But gained eternal life uh, New life in heaven um, And So he passed away last week We mourn his loss We celebrate his legacy And got news that his uh Celebration of Life will be held on Saturday, April the 2nd, which is next Saturday, um, at the City of Refuge Church in Los Angeles, California, pastored by Bishop Noel Jones. Now, and um, again, you can go to um, Old Black Church and you can find all of this information there uh, from the family of Daryl Coley. And, you know, we could just only continue to pray for his uh, family and and those who are impacted by his musical ministry and his pastoral ministry. You know, very few people knew that he was a pastor also. You know. And he, like many others, like uh, James Cleveland, um, uh, Clay Evans, John P. Key, and many, many others who uh, learned uh, how to integrate that music ministry into their pastoral ministry. And uh, so it's a great legacy that he's left behind. So those are just the news uh, regarding his arrangements. And I didn't realize he was just 60 years old. Fairly young. But continue to pray for the Coley family and his church family, uh, many others who may have passed on, we just don't know about. Another news I um, I watched this weekend. I don't know if any of you did. I'd like to hear uh, if you did or not. Tyler Perry's The Passion um, broadcast on Sunday. Uh, I think it was Fox. I I can't remember. I, I think it was Fox though, but. 
uh, but it was broadcast live from New Orleans, and I got to catch a little bit of it. I think the end of it. It, it was interesting. It's it's only it's only some Tyler Perry could do. That's all I must say. Uh, it was very creative, and I like how they integrated the heart of New Orleans into it. Um, and it, it was a good thing. It was a good production. Very good production. It may have been a bit confusing for some people because, according to Tyler Perry, uh, he didn't realize how many people were not aware of the final week of Jesus. You know, a lot of people were not aware of the events of Holy Week. And, you know, we, 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 if you've been in the church long enough and you heard the, the gospel, the Easter story long enough, you know, it's all about the women coming to the tomb and, and all of that. But it, it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great dramatic, uh, presentation when, when you just read it. And, and of course the gospels aren't all, you know, it's not chronological, chronological, it's not um, a direct narrative. It just gives the idea of what happened during that week. And, of course, Tyler Perry and his creative genius, if you want to call it that, uh, brought it out in a very eclectic, uh, diverse cast. It was, it was, it was nice. Uh, so I, I guess I could commend him for that, introducing that story. You know, being that it was put on a secular uh, television network, he couldn't he couldn't do probably what he wanted to do. But I, I saw toward the end he got a little got a little excited. Was I guess he felt that unction to, to preach, but he was strained. <laughs> but uh, a lot of people were this was new for some, uh, and I, I, in recent you know recent years. Um, not recent, yeah, recent history. You know, you had movies like Mel da- Mel Gibson's The Passion, and you had uh, what's this movie that just came out last month or earlier this month? Risen, I think, something like that that tells it from the from a Roman centurion's perspective. And then um, you have a remake of Ben Hur that's going to be in theater soon, and retelling the story of the passion. And I think these are great, great ways of getting the gospel out. And some will say there's, it's, it's too watered down. It's too secular. It's just, a, just another way of presenting a story, an old story. But I'm just like, it's getting the gospel message out. It's introducing people to, to this message that, that some may not have known, you know, or they, you know, didn't want to know, but now it may turn them on to it. So it is what it is, a success. Also, one story before I uh, take this break. I I read a story, again, from the old black church, uh, uh, a pastor, and let me make sure I get this right. I want to say it's in there about uh, Reverend Pastor Van Moody and his church, the Worship Center Christian Church in Birmingham, 
this past Sunday announced that they were going to be paying off the payday loans of members and non-members. And I think it said it totaled to more than $41,000. They're going to pay off the uh, payday loans of 48 people. And all the people had to do was just, as they were entering the church, they filled out a questionnaire. And I don't know how they determined who was going to get what as far as payment. But during the service, he, he announced that those persons who fill out the questionnaires met apparently certain qualifications will have their payday loans pay, paid off. And the money is not going to go to the person who owes the debt, but it's going to go to the to the debt collector, to the, the actual person in, into the own. And, you know, I'm so excited about this because here in the state of Mississippi, we've been addressing these payday loans and the I mean, the astronomical interest rates that people pay. And, you know, they go in debt. I I had somebody who was so far in debt just because of payday loans. You know, every two weeks they're taking out these loans or every however long. And, you know, they're basically just paying on. For example, you take out a $250 loan and you're paying back $800 or maybe more, maybe $1,000. You know, it's like paying back three times what you actually took out. And if you're only paying it, say you're just paying $50 or $100 a week, and you're only making five or $600 a week, and you got all your other bills, you know, you're just perpetuating this giant amount of debt. And I'm I'm glad that his church addressed it, but he didn't just stop there by paying out. They've been offering workshops on fiscal management, budgeting, and you gotta. I, I have to commend Pastor Moody and his church, and I'm hoping more churches do that. Uh, at my church, for the last three or four years, we've had a local bank come in, and they've done a full. Uh, budget workshop or you know something similar to this financial planning workshop uh and we've had we've had uh workshops to to help get prepared for long uh home ownership and all that stuff and this one bank that we were partnering with uh part of the part of their incentive for better better uh financial management personal budget and all that was by giving a loan to these people who, you know, the people who attended the workshop, uh, based on their credit score, they could get either $500 or a thousand dollar loan that they would pay off. You know, they had to, they had to pay it off and that was empower that was empowering them because it was improving their credit. And we had testimonies of people Whose credit was in the low four, you know, was as low as four hundred or five hundred, and within six months' time, was in you know the upper six hundreds or seven hundreds, and one person's credit went all the way perfect. You know. And this is the kind of things I believe the church should be doing as you know, as means of empowerment. It's good to preach the gospel. It's good to be involved in social justice, but. Uh, you know, we need to be helping our people because 
especially if we, you know, my church is in the hood and, <laughs> and I see, I see the economic distress daily as I walk through my neighborhood. And when we offer things like this to the people in the community, it's showing them that we are not just a building and people coming weekly, but we are people who are engaged in the streets that that make up this community. So uh, if you know a pastor, you may want to suggest that that they do it. You know, they don't have to pay it off, but you might want to suggest to them, you know, at least provide sources, references, refer- referrals, or, you know, workshops at the very least. They need to address it. All right, so that's enough of my rant right there. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back from the break, we'll be joined by uh, Dr. Joe Martin, who is, like I say, he's an author, speaker, uh, educational consultant, (laughs) and just an awesome man of God who's going to be talking to us uh, about empowering men to be better men. So we'll be, we're going to take this break. We'll be back right after this. Because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Talk to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. At the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, I'm part of a place where I'm always challenged to do more. I am a part of a place where I can be involved. I'm a part of a place where everything is possible. I'm part of a place where champions are made. At the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, you can get an affordable education with competitive degree offerings, diverse student population, and stellar faculty. Become part of a place where you can get everything you need to succeed. Become a part of the pride at the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. Who loves social networking as much as you? Identity thieves. They can find your personal information and do some serious damage, like your birthday or your mother's maiden name. You need a new friend, LifeLock. We scour billions of data points every day. And if we discover that any of your personal information is misused, LifeLock is there. Call us at 1-800-LIFELOCK or go to LifeLock.com today. If you're like me, you have probably had problems, you know, like a speeding ticket or something like that. And maybe you couldn't get a lawyer for your child or relative that got in legal trouble. I found a way to help me and others get the best legal help they could get without hiring a lawyer. 
and that's through Legal Shield. Legal Shield is like having your personal lawyer riding with you shotgun every day, all day, and you don't have to worry about all the big hefty bills associated with hiring out a law firm because you can have Legal Shield and they will help you in every means. What does Legal Shield do? Legal Shield helps you develop legal documents, legal defense, all kinds of things that you can imagine. It's, you know, developing a will for your, uh, developing, uh, uh, partnering with others for filing suit if you're getting sued, all kinds of things. It provides consulting. It helps you review documents. You know, it does all the work for you. They have trained uh, lawyers, trained people who can do all of this for you. And all you have to do is pay a membership fee as low as nine $9.00 a month, and you get full services of legal service, full, full legal services. And you know what? You don't have to worry about pricing. Like I said, it's, it's pretty inexpensive. But imagine if you had a law firm with you. I'm not just talking about this little, little stuff. I'm talking about you have access to over 40 provider law firms, over 1,100 lawyers, and more than 20 years of legal experience with this company. I I support it. I'm a part of it, and I think you should be. And you know what? I'm going to help you get it. You can go to LegalShield.com, find out all you want to. You can even locate uh, an associate in your area. Or you don't have access to a computer, that's fine. Just call 1-800-654-7757 and talk with somebody that can help you find a plan that's right for you and your family. I tell you, ever since I've been a part of LegalShield, my worries have all but gone uh, away. So give it a shot. Go to LegalShield.com and sign up today, and I guarantee you will not be disappointed. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, and we are in Holy Week. And what better way to get into Holy Week than talking about discipleship? And I'm honored to have uh, a, a distinguished gentleman as my guest today who is all about discipleship and mentoring, and that is none other than Dr. Joe Martin. Dr. Martin, you there? Yes, I am. How you doing, Pastor Neil? I'm well. I'm well. And again, I'm very honored that you accepted the invitation to be on the show. And uh, you know, thank you. Thank you for I, inviting me. I appreciate it. 
I get a lot of, you know, a lot of people trying to get on the show, and I, I decline a lot. <laughs> and I came across you. I can't remember exactly how I did, uh, but I came across you, and I was like, this guy seems interesting. I looked on your webpage. I'm like, yeah, I got to get him on the show because your story, your what you do and what you have been doing is just it's amazing to me. So, uh, again, welcome to the show. Uh, can you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, and uh, your background? Okay, I'll give them the short version, Pastor Neil. Um, I'm originally from Florida. I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee now. Um, I grew up in the projects in Liberty City in Miami. I don't know if your um, listeners are familiar with Liberty City, but we had some very bad racial – oh, you know about it. So we had some bad racial riots back in the early 80s when I was a kid. Um, and also um, we're the reason why they put explicit lyrics on rap music now because we had a group called Two Live Crew. Exactly. came out back in the day <laughs> that sued the government for trying to ban them and um, censor their music. And so, and also the kids know about Liberty City because they built a game around it um, called Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> and so everybody's heard of that notorious game. Please don't buy that for your children. Um, Grand Theft Auto has a, a theme when they do a city called Liberty City in which they based it on our city. But right. um, I grew up on um, the son of a teenage mother. Um, my mom was 16 years old. Dad not in the household. He left when I was only two years old. And we grew up in abject poverty, as you can imagine. And before I reached the age of 16, I had buried six of my friends. I um, had at least a dozen friends who were incarcerated. Um, I'd been abused myself um, by the only male that stepped into my life to try to help me. He ended up hurting me. And my mom was also an abusive alcoholic as well. Um, because of her own battles and our own demons, uh, my mom pretty much checked out when I was about 10 years old, so my sister and I had to take care of each other. And so that's the, the short of You can imagine all the other stuff that was around my neighborhood, the drugs, the violence, gang violence, um, you name it, I've experienced it to the point that it pretty much desensitized um, me to the violence and all the negativity that I saw. Um, but in spite of that, in spite of that, and I'm giving you the short version, that I was able to get past that environment and um, be the first person in my family to graduate from high school. Even though I barely graduated from high school, I graduated with a 2.2 GPA. But I went on to college, um, barely got into a community college, graduated early at the age of 20 with my bachelor's degree at the top of my university class from the University of West Florida. And I was voted student of the year out of 10,000 students on my campus, and I was the only student of color, um, African-American male, in all of my classes. So you can imagine that. And even though I barely passed history in high school, I made history in the state of Florida by becoming the youngest professor ever hired to teach in the state of Florida at the age of 24. Um, wow. In addition to that, I bought my first home before I graduated from college, bought my mom a house after I graduated from college and moved her out of the project, so we haven't had to live in a project since, praise God. Um, my sister went on to become a doctor. As a matter of fact, she's visiting today, so I'm excited about seeing her. She lives in Orlando, Florida. I'm now in Tennessee, like I said. Um, also, I went on to write several books, um, have my own television show, I have my own radio show, um, trying to think of all other stuff I can mention. Um, I've traveled all over the country, I've probably I speak and lecture on about, uh, I would say about at least 50 school districts a year. I've probably been to over 750 school districts, um, motivating, inspiring kids. Um, I work for the Florida Governor's Office as a, as a communications director, you name it. I had my PhD before I was 30. 
So you, you get the gist of it. This kid who overcame the projects of Miami and his teenage mother and this, this horrible background in order to do what I'm doing today, which is impacting um, a lot of people all over the world, all over the country. So that's kind of the short end of the story. <laughs> that is an amazing story, an amazing testimony. You know, just the fact that, and, and I read your testimony, but just hearing hearing it from from you is you know is just phenomenal. What what empowered you? How did you get empowered from being from going to an underperforming student in an urban inner city environment where there was little hope and little opportunity? What empowered you? What pushed you to succeed? You know, I, I get asked that question a lot. Pastor Neil, and you know, and if you've been to my website, you've been to realmanconnect.com, and you know that there's more to the story than even what I'm sharing with you right now. There's segments of my life, and usually people focus on that part. How did you overcome that environment, abject poverty in an urban city, that kind of thing? And what I tell them, I just tell them the truth, Pastor Neil, it was, um, we know by the grace of God, but it was by the skin of my teeth. Um, I didn't do it very well, let's put it that way. Um, I was suicidal by the time I was 16 years old. I will say probably I thought about suicide from 12 to 16. got really serious about it around the age of 16. Um, so I didn't do it flying colors. It's not this perfect story of how I just overcame my, my environment. But I had an encounter. God had an encounter with me when I was 16 years old. Even though um, my mom raised us in the church, we just went to church, but I didn't go because I wanted to build a relationship with Christ. I just went because she told me we couldn't go outside and play if we didn't go to church. And so she would send us even if she didn't go. And so um, I believed in God, but I couldn't understand God because I couldn't understand how a God could be so good as they preached in church if my life was so bad. And so at 16, uh, I thought about taking my life, and and God spoke to me. Well, at least an angel spoke to me and told me not to do it, but he didn't give me any answers. And, I mean, it is as real as I'm talking to you right now. I heard this voice, and he just told me to hold on. He said that your life is not over. Just wait. And I was so mad and so angry, even with the voice, that I said, okay, um, I won't do this if you promise somebody else won't smoke me while I'm here because my friends are dying left and right. And I just thought I was going to be next. My aspiration when I was growing up as a kid wasn't to be a doctor, lawyer, um, entertainer, rapper, athlete. It was just to be alive by the time I was 18. And so, But I promised God that if he let me survive the projects, that um, I would never consider doing something like this again. And just don't let somebody kill me and just let me make it to my 18th birthday. That was a magical age. I don't know why I picked 18, but I felt that most kids weren't going to make it to 18 in my neighborhood. So if I did, that's a miracle. I said, and if you let me make it to my 18th birthday and get out of these projects, I promise you um, I will go back and help, and I would um, talk to people who are going through what I went through. And so to answer your question, that was my process getting there. But what got me through is that once I got out, I was so thankful and Pastor Neil, just to be blatantly honest with you, I just outworked everybody. I mean, when I tell you I was a motivated student when I got to school, it's an understatement. Remember I tell you I barely graduated from high school. Well, my first semester in college, even though they told me I wasn't college material, my first semester I took 17 credits at a 4.0. And wow. my thing was that you may be smarter than me, but you're not going to outwork me. And so in every class, I just outworked everybody. I was probably the most motivated student I'd ever seen. Um, because think about it, if I bought a house before I was 20, you know, before I got out of college. And so my thing was to get around successful people, learn what they knew about success, and do what they did to get similar results. No different than making a cake. If you gave me a recipe 
and said, Joe, do you like my cake? I said, I love it, Pastor Neil. This is a fantastic cake. Give me the recipe. And you give me the recipe, and I follow it down to the letter. My cake may not taste as good as yours, but it's not going to come out lasagna. Okay? Right. It's going to be in the chocolate. It's going to be in the cake family. And so my thing is I went to a lot of people and interviewed them, which is ironic because that's what I do now. I interview um, men of faith. And I found out, I said, what did you do to become so successful? And they told me, and that's, no, I just did it. It's as simple as that. And that's what I tell kids. I said, anything you want to do, somebody's done it before. You just need to find out how they did it and do exactly what they did to get it. And the thing is that with most kids, the problem is they don't have access to the people who have done it successfully. And right. so I, I decided to try to bridge that gap between where they are and where they want to be by getting them connected to people who have already done it. All right, which is a good segue because I want to, I want you to talk about Real Men Connect, how that – tell me, how did that come about? All right, and that's the the other chapter of my life that people don't know about, but they're finding out about today now, um, this season in my life. Um, based on what I just told your audience, they would probably anyone out there listening say, wow, see, if that kid can do it, if he can grow up in that environment and succeed, anybody can do it. So the first thing they'll do is say, be like that young man. Be like Joe Mark. Do what he did. That's what a lot of people told their kids. You know, watch what he's doing. But the problem was I succeeded as a male based on – I call what we I call the Asians. I, I, I succeeded as a male based on my occupation because I had a very prestigious position. Compensation because I was making a six-digit income before I was 30. Uh, my level of education because I got more degrees than a thermometer. Okay, and based on my reputation, I, I was very popular and people knew who I was. I was speaking on large stages, so from the outside looking in, I had succeeded as a male. But the problem is, and this is where I am in my season now, I failed as a man. And there's a huge difference between succeeding as a male and failing as a man. See, on the outside looking in, I had it all. But what I didn't have were the tools and the blueprint on how to be a godly husband, a godly father, a spiritual leader of my home. And I didn't know what it took to be a man. I knew what it took to succeed, but I didn't know what it took to succeed as a godly man. So I tell people I was a good man, but I wasn't a godly man. And because of that, I didn't didn't get exposed to a, quote, real man, until I was 33 years old. So I had achieved all this success until I met a man at the age of 33 who discipled me. That's, that's the reason why you had me on the show to talk about that, that he discipled me and showed me what it took to be a godly husband, um, a godly father, a servant leader in my community, and it changed my life. It changed everything for me. And so what it cost me, though, in that, that time from going from a male to a man, it cost me a 16-year marriage. Um, it ended up leading to addiction. Um, it ended up um, me destroying my family, losing half my wealth, um, also risking my health. It almost costing me my life. And so now I'm in a new phase now that I realize now that what difference does it make if you succeed in the world but you fail in the kingdom? So I'm more about now um, winning the approval of God than trying to win the applause of me. Oh, wow, that's powerful. Now, now this is you talk about meeting this man at your at the age of thirty three who discipled you. Mm-hmm. Tell you tell us what you meant by he discipled you. He discipled well, you. I'll, what did he well, do that made well, you realize it, it started, that you were being discipled? 
you know, the, the specifics, I, 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 the story of the medium was just phenomenal. You knew it had to be a God thing. God hand orchestrated it. But let me tell your listeners this as I tell you what he did. Um, he is a white man, a Caucasian man, who taught in my neighborhood. Now, I don't remember him. I met him through his son after I was lecturing at Florida International University, and I met him through his son, which was a phenomenal story um, how I met him. But when I met him, he invited me down to come speak in my old neighborhood because he was working in the middle school where I grew up. And the middle school, now I was, it wasn't the middle school that I attended because Liberty City is very big. Um, we had five high schools and two malls. I didn't meet a white child until I was 12. Okay, that's hmm. how big Liberty City is. So, but they bust me to a middle school, but he taught at the middle school I should have gone to. And he had been teaching, Howard had been teaching there for about 22 years, and he had gone to 28 funerals. Pastor Neil, 28 funerals in 22 years. Wow. Middle school. We're not talking high school or college. We're talking middle school. You're talking about, what, 12-year-old to 14? And so he asked me to come down and speak um, at the middle school and some of the other schools in Liberty City. I told him I had never – I've been to Miami several times to speak, um, University of Miami, Barry University, Miami-Dade College, Florida International University, but never spoken in Liberty City because I'd never been invited back to speak. So – this was exciting for me to come back. But when I came back, he, he, he told me they couldn't pay me because I get paid to do this for a living. And he told me, he said, Joe, we don't have the money, but could you come down here? I said, man, I'll pay my own way to come down there. God has purposed me for this. And by this time, I had already lost my marriage, and I was rebuilding my life. And so when I went down to speak in Miami, he told me that he wanted me to live with, stay with him and his wife and his kids because he wanted to save me some money since I was paying my own way to come down there. So I said, cool, this is great. So um, he picks me up from the airport. He takes me to his house, and everything I'm telling you is important on how he discipled me, okay? He never once mentioned the Bible, never mentioned Jesus Christ, never mentioned the cross, never mentioned church at all. He picks me up from the airport. He says, Joe, before I take you home, um, I have to get my wife some flowers. I get her flowers every Friday. He said, I hope you don't mind. I know it's been a long trip for you. I said, oh, I don't care. So he picks up some fresh flowers. He does it every Friday, and he takes it home to his wife. We get to his house. Now, I met him through his son. I didn't realize that he had seven more children. He has eight children. Wow. And he's the sole, sole breadwinner. He's a teacher, a school teacher. So, you know, he doesn't get paid a lot of money. And mm-hmm. his wife is a stay-at-home mom, and she takes care of the kids, all eight of them. Okay? <laughs> and so I get there to his house. They're all waiting for me at the door. And, I mean, they're lined up like staircases from the my wife to all the kids. And I'm thinking they're lined up to meet me because they're excited about seeing me. But no, Pastor Neil, they were excited about seeing Howard coming back home from work. So they all gravitate towards him. They're hugging him, taking his, his, um, his bag and everything else, grabbing his jacket and all this other stuff. It's like they forgot about me. And they said, oh, yeah, this is Joe Martin. Um, he said, Joe's going to be staying with us. He's going to be a guest in our home. And then they greet me. He has five boys, three girls, and his wife. And they all greet me, make me feel at home. They bring me to the house. And then... I was there for five days, and this is how he decided. First of all, he led, what he did is he led by example. He showed me, he didn't tell me what a man was. He showed me what a man was. That at, they had dinner together, all ten of them, okay? <laughs> and he had um, me lead the prayer and say the grace at the table. And every night I was there, he would have one of the kids say the grace um, at, table, at the table. When um, it was time to put the kids to bed, he, I think he had five um, sons and three daughters, and he would put his younger daughters to bed. He said, Joe, I want you to come with me as I pray with my daughters to put them to bed. I said, okay. So I go with him and pray with his, his, his daughters. 
then he would go with, to his sons. And his son, he had one son in college who I met and one older than him who was in college who was still there, living there as well. Had me go with them and pray with them. Then they would have family devotionals during the week, and he would have all the family members participate, and he had me participate in the family devotion. At the end of every night, um, he would have a nightcap with his wife where they would drink coffee or tea or whatever, and he would let me be part of it. He said, don't you sit in and, and talk with us. And he would talk to his wife about her day, what challenges she faced with the kids and that kind of thing. And he would also, when he would spend time with his daughter, he would date, quote, date his daughters. And he would let mm. me go on the date with me. Joe, normally it's just me and my daughter, but I want you to hang out with us and see what we do when I take my daughters out on a date. So you kind of get this picture that this man was showing me how to be a man. And when he took me back, now I didn't even mention all the schools I went to and what I saw him do on his job, that kind of thing, I, which was amazing. I saw what a servant leader looks like on his, at work. But when he took me back to the airport, he gave me a bag full of CDs, DVDs, books on being a father, how to talk to your kids about sex, how to communicate better with your wife. Some of the books, Miles Monroe book on finding your purpose, um, mm. Tony Evans books on no excuses. Um, he's given me all these resources that I love. And I, I'm in tears by now, Dr. Bill. I mean, my pastor Neil, and I'm saying to him, I said, um, I mean, Howard, I said, this is, this is amazing. I said, I can't thank you enough for what you've done. I said, man, you don't understand. I said, I've asked God to have a Paul in my life, and I never had one before. I said, now, I know you have eight children, but if you don't mind, would you adopt just one more? And he broke down crying, and he told me, yes, y'all, I'll do it. That was 14 years ago. And he's been fathering me spiritually, being my spiritual father um, over the past 14 years. And now, guess what? I'm remarried again. Um, I date my daughter. <laughs> I've now I lead my family in devotions. I have quiet time with my son. That I have a date day with my wife every Friday. That I share my quiet time with my wife on a daily basis after I get out of my quiet time. All this stuff I learned, Pastor Neil, was from Howard. And so when you ask questions, how do you decide me? By showing me, not not telling me, not commanding me to do it, not beating me over the head, just, Joe, watch what I do. Be you, but do me. That's that, that's powerful because, you know, that's antithetical to what the churches teach. Most churches teach about discipleship. You know, mm-hmm. discipleship is not about modeling Christ for some people. It's about, you know, it's about, uh, it's for some people, it's about uh, aligning yourself with a particular idea from someone, and, and you know, you just do what they say. <laughs> and so, hearing that is 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 refreshing. And you know, I was wondering, you know, was it a bit uncomfortable for you as you were experiencing that discipleship? Well, it wasn't uncomfortable from the standpoint that it was freaking me out or anything. It was just something I wasn't exposed to and not familiar with. It's no different than when I went off to um. The University of West Florida as an undergrad, and I found out I was the only black male in all of my classes. You know, I wasn't intimidated. I was just uncomfortable just for a moment to say, okay, now this is different. Okay, now you must adapt. So when I got there, I didn't understand what was going on and why he was doing everything. So, of course, during this time of discipleship, while he's modeling what manhood is in front of me, when we're in the car, he has a truck, so he would take me to different places. And when we're in the car, I was like a little child. I was asking him a million questions. Why did you do that? Why would you guys do that and you do this? Why do y'all meet at that time every day? Um, what's the best way to do this? I was That's why I think he gave me all those resources at the end of the trip, because I didn't ask him for it. But I had so many questions 
he thought, wow, Joe really doesn't know a lot of this stuff. And so mm. I humbled myself enough to, to ask him questions. But, no, I wasn't – it didn't make me uncomfortable. It was just unusual, which is sad because you would think by the time I'm 33 years old, I would have had a clue by now, <laughs> you know, of what a man yeah, yeah. would look like. But I did So let's get back to this real man connect. You mm-hmm. you 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 uh say your mantra is that you're a male by birth, but you become a man by choice or something to that, right? Yes, that's absolutely right. So, how how does that process? I mean, is is it similar when you when you get these men together? What's what's that like? What's the process like? How how does it work? I know you do it online and. Maybe for some people, but how does the process, uh, how does Real Men Connect work? Well, and shoot, Real Men Connect pretty much is a multimedia men's movement that I started. I started about a year ago, and when I say multimedia, because we're on different um, channels as far as different mediums. We have a blog, which you found out about me through the blog, uh, realmenconnect.com. We also have a YouTube channel um, for Real Men Connect. That we I do video lessons on manhood while I'm in the car driving or while I'm at home or after quiet time, and we recently launched our podcast on iTunes, which is now just we found out that it became the number one podcast on iTunes for Christian men. And we've only been um, we launched it about only two a little bit over two months ago. So God has shown us a lot of favor because what I'm finding out is that men are looking for this type of information they just can't find it. So you're asking what does that process look like? Basically, my job with Real Men Connect was pretty much to help good men become great men, but doing it God's way by connecting them to successful husbands, great fathers, and strong leaders. And what we do is we help them. We, get, we provide answers, real answers to real problems that men face um, in the real world, not just the church stuff, but a lot of stuff that the churches don't address. I mean, we cover topics from as wide range from parenting to pornography and everything in between. And I learned this from working with men's groups in my local area, but I've now expanded across the country. And so the process works basically is reaching out and connecting with men. I have a process that we call um, pick, stick, um, excite, um, and invite, and excite. Let me repeat that again. Pick, yeah, go ahead. Pick, invite, and excite. And I'm telling you, Pastor Neil, churches are not doing this, but if they did, it would transform their relationship with men. And pretty, and I'm, matter of fact, I'm going to be speaking about this at a men's conference um, called Iron Shop is Iron, and they're a national conference um, all over the world. And I'm going to be speaking about this process. And basically, and this is and it's very simple. It's not as complicated as it sounds. One, what we do is we pick, we uh, challenge men to pick three men. Ask God, God, lead me to three men you want me to um, reach out to, connect with, um, introduce myself to. And trust me, the Holy Spirit will give you three. As a matter of fact, you don't have to limit it to three because if you get more than that, it's going to be hard to manage it first. You pick three men that, you, that God is leading you to. It could, be your, it could be a young person. It could be an older person. It doesn't matter. Whatever the Holy Spirit leads you, you pick those three. Then the second step is you stick with them. So you already finished step one. Pick them, okay? Step two mm-hmm. is to stick with those three people. Now, when we say stick, that means stay in contact with them. That means it can be via phone call, it can be via text message, email, Morse code, I don't care, you know, just just make sure you reach out to them on a consistent basis. Now, we're not talking about every day. It could be every week. Like with the guys, I probably 
personally discipled probably about 20 guys. And you say, that's a lot, Joe. Well, it's not that complicated if I connect with them via email, group text messages, via social media. There's a lot of different mechanisms we can use to stay in contact and stick with the men we're reaching out to. And let's use your church as an example, Pastor Neil. If mm-hmm. at your church you got a lot of men who go to your church, right? A lot of times men come to your church, you never see these men again. You know, they may peek in, they come in on Easter, and you never see them again until next Easter, okay? Now, <laughs> based on this model that I'm saying, they come to, now imagine they come to the church on Easter. You get their name and email address. Now, you don't have the church contact them. You have one guy says, I want to keep in contact with that guy. Now, he doesn't invite them back to church. He doesn't do that. He just stick with them. He says, them, hey, man, I'm praying for you. Man, um, you came across my mind. I thought about you. Hey, I want to send you something on your email. Check your email. I came across this article I think you'll like. Hey, I want to send you a gift. I got this book that I picked up. I thought you'd benefit from that you'll benefit from it. Now he's never stepped back a foot back in church, but you're sticking to him because you're building a relationship with him. Now, here's the third step. So now you understand what tick him, stick him, and then you're going to invite him. Not to church. Okay? What you do is you invite him into your life like Howard did me. Howard didn't invite me to a church. But guess what? That weekend, I went to his church. Why was I so comfortable going to his church? Because he built a relationship with me before he invited me to church. So you invite him into your life. You invite yourself into his life. How do you do that? Hey, man, we're going to be watching March Madness at my house. Man, won't you come over, Pastor Neil, and check it out? Man, hey, Pastor Neil, what are you doing this weekend? Man, I'm going to be raking leaves in my yard. Hey, you need some help? I can bring two of my friends. We can come over and help you rake those leaves. You see what I'm doing? I didn't invite you to church. I'm inviting myself into your life. I'm inviting you to my life. Hey, you told me your daughter has a, a basketball game. Hey, you don't mind if I brought me and my son to go watch my son? Now, we love basketball. Can we go? Can we come in and watch your daughter play? What are you going to say? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? You invite yourself into his life. Now, you do that in this, a lot of different ways. To invite them over for dinner. Go on with them to lunch. Like, I, I, I meet a lot of men for lunch at Panera Bread. I've never cooked a meal. We just go to Panera Bread and we eat. They've never even been to my church before. So I meet with them, I, so I pick them, I stick with them, I invite them. Now, here's the key part. After you build a relationship with them, what's going to happen just by moving the Holy Spirit, working on their heart, they're going to say to you, Pastor Neil, man, I got to tell you, your friendship has meant a lot to me, man. I, I tell you, I, have, I, I can't remember the last time um, I've gone this close to another dude before. And, man, I got to tell you, man, it just means a lot to me. It could be your birthday that I'm celebrating with you. And I just want to thank you for being such a good friend, man. I, I can't even begin to repay you for what you've been. Man, you, you prayed for me. Man, you come to my, you supported my, my kids. Man, you've helped me around the house. Man, you give me great advice with my wife and everything. Man, I, I just wish there was a way I could repay you. And then this is when you open your mouth, Pastor Neil, and you tell them this. Well, I'm glad you appreciate that, Joe. Um, but can I make a confession to you? Yeah, sure, Pastor Neil. What, what's the confession? Then when I met you over a year ago or six months ago or Two months ago, yeah, I remember. Well, I got to tell you, I prayed about meeting you. I asked God to lead me to um, to three men that I would like to build a relationship with, and Joe, you were one of them. And so mm. I appreciate what you just told me, but I got to tell you, this was a setup because God told me I wanted to connect with you. And now you say that you're thankful that, you, that I blessed you. Well, I got to tell you, you blessed me too with our relationship. But if you really want to repay me, you don't have to pay me back in money. I'm going to ask you to do... Just one thing. And what's that, Pastor Neil? Do exactly what I did for you. Take three, stick with them, invite yourself into their life, 
and then get them excited about doing it for three others. There you have it. Wow. And, and, and that now, model is exactly what Jesus did. That absolutely. Is Jesus, did. <laughs> that is, Jesus invited himself <laughs> into the lives of his 12 disciples. So what do you think I got it from? I got it from Jesus. That's, that's the model Jesus used, but we're not following that model. We keep thinking exactly. you got to get baptized and saved right on day one. No, you have to earn the right to speak into their life, and Jesus did that with the people that he met. Man, you just blew blew my mind away <laughs> with that. Uh, that model is is what what you say is missing in the church. And, uh, you know, even as a pastor, I try to develop a relationship with men in the church, but then I have to put up this barrier because, like, no, I can't connect with them. I have to stay in my prestigious place. Right. And and then, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for us. You know, I've, I've, I've been in ministry since I was a 12-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I was, I was mentored and discipled by men who were in their 50s and 60s, and I was a you know teenager. So I, I grew up with this old soul. But once I got into my 20s and my 30s, you know, and I'm like you, I was already successful. I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be on the fast track to greater things. And I felt like I was being, you know, missing out. But the Lord, Lord connected me with other, other men, you know, but it wasn't. I wasn't disciple like you. I was just like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm just gonna help you. You know, you you're you're where you're supposed to be. I'm just gonna help you, guide you along. Now, my question is, uh, next question I guess is, did you place time limits on those relationships? Well, that's a great question, Pastor Nell, um, and I'm glad you brought it up because I forgot to mention. No, you don't. And what I tell the men, because I've already taught this model to the men um, in my circle. Um, in addition to doing a national multimedia men's ministry, I'm also um, in charge of a small group here. I say small group, we and we've had hundreds go through, but I would say consistently about maybe 10 to 12 guys. And I have a small accountability group that I meet with once a month. The other guys I meet with weekly, and the other ones I meet once, the accountability group I meet once a month. So I'm always exposed to men. And so I've taught them this model. And what I tell them, I said, once you pick the three, remember, God has led you to them. You pray, say, God, lead me to three men who you want me to pour into their lives. And so after he gives you those three, now here's the thing. You're going to reach out and try to stick with them, but some of them are not going to respond. Like that guy who came to church on Easter, but he never showed up. He may not ever respond to your text message. He may not return right. your phone call. He may not ever respond to your email. That's going to be realistic. That's, that could happen. So what you do is you continue to stick until God tells you, to, or the Holy Spirit tells you to remove that person from your list. In other words, dust your feet off <laughs> and move on but until the Holy Spirit tells you that. Now, i got to tell you, and I'll just speak from a personal example. Um, I get a lot of men who approach me about mentoring them and discipling them, a lot of young men. And a lot of times they're not sincere about it. They, they think they want it, but they're not ready for it. And i got to tell you, I struggle with this because God will say, okay, Joe, here's your three or here's your ten or your fifteen or twenty. And these guys, they, some of them never respond. And I want to just write them off real quick. But I'll go in prayer and I say, God, help me. I say, God, not my will, but your will be done. You know my frustration. You know that I'm impatient by nature. But, God, I don't want to do this for my glory. This is for your glory. You tell me, am I to continue to reach out to this person? Only until I hear from you 
will I remove that person from my list? And so I've gone um, weeks without hearing response from somebody until God finally says, no, you know, now, Joe, you can remove that person. Now, I'll tell you when you can realize when that person needs to be removed, God usually will replace that person with another person that comes in your path. So mm. now I meet Pastor Neil, and I've been praying on this one person, Timothy, who won't leave, who I can't reach. Then he brings you. I said, oh, so God, now it's time. Yes, let Timothy go. Now I want you to focus on Pastor Neil. You got me? And so I tell yeah. men that you should always have three at the minimum. And don't you dare release one until you find another one to replace that other. So that kind of safeguards you from abandoning people too soon because God is not going to lead you to that third person until he wants you to release the other person. And the great thing about it, if you've stuck with that person, even though they haven't responded to you, believe it or not, they, some of them who are sincere and if God works in their heart and softens their heart, they'll come back. Because I've had men, after I've let them go off my list for weeks or months, email me or text me, Joe, and now I'm ready. And I said, okay. And then guess what? I allow them back in. I don't push them away. I, over, I, I tell them, I may have closed the door, but I didn't lock it. The doors will always be open for them to come back and return. That's a that's that's wonderful thing, and you know, you have the heart of a discipler, you know, and I, I'm I'm afraid that that there are not a lot of men like you in the churches and in the communities willing to do that. You know, it, it seemed like it's seeming like uh, these young men and some older men are just being thrown out to the world and they find their own path and they're just left out there alone. And I appreciate what you do. I, well, I can I, tell you this, Pastor Neil, sorry to interrupt you, but I can tell you this, and this is important for your listeners to understand. I used to think the same thing. I said, man, there's not a lot of men in the church who are willing to do this. And I don't understand it. How come I, it took me so long to find a Howard? When I launched Real Men Connect, I did the podcast in which we interview some of the uh, most accomplished and respected men of faith from all over the country. And they're not famous. Not all of them are famous. Some of them are, but most of them are not. They're just typical guys like Howard. What I'm finding out is that Pastor Neil, they are out, they, they're out there. What it is what I'm finding out is that they haven't been mobilized and brought together or mm. that we may run across them, but they don't know how to do it. So what I'm hoping is by building this Real Men Connect men's movement is that no one now can use the excuse I don't know where to start. I don't know how to do it. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know how to communicate. I'm bringing on men who, just like Howard, just like you, just like me, I'm bringing them together and getting them to share their story. Like no different, I'm sharing my story with you. I interview men all day who are doing this all over the country, and I bring them to everybody out there to listen and say, "Wait a minute, if they can do that, maybe I can too." So now the message is now getting out to the churches. So now, like our church. Our pastor now said, you guys need to listen to Joe's podcast so you can't use any excuse of why you can't reach and connect with men in our church. They're great men. They just don't know how, and they're afraid to do it. So we mm-hmm. really connect. We brought the men together into one place to get them to share their lessons and strategies. No different than I'm teaching your audience right now. We now have it in one place just for men. Now, what I tell your listeners to do, and the reason why this is so important, if we really want to see a change, we, got, we can't allow these men to use the excuse, I don't know Get them plugged into resources like Real Men Connect. And there's other resources out there other than mine. But get them to connect to realmenconnect.com so now they can get to the blog, they can get to the podcast, they can get to the videos and say, now I know how to do it. 
Because once Howard showed me how, that set me on fire to say, I can do this. And that's the only reason I'm doing it, because Howard taught me how to do it. That's powerful. Uh, I shared with you before before the show. Last week I did a show. Uh, the topic I talked about was uh, an article from the Atlantic magazine that's written by two two brothers who, uh, I mean, what's the name? Bradford Wilcox and Nicholas Wolfiger. And their mm-hmm. article says the black church helps or the church helps black men flourish in America. And it lists statistics about uh, men who by a certain age uh, attend church regularly or do not attend church regularly and uh, give statistics about how likely they are to re- commit a crime or, or have a child out of wedlock or anything like that. From your perspective, when you help men connect with men and be mentored and discipled, what changes do you look for to know that they are growing? Oh, that, that's a great question. Um, and I haven't been asked that a lot, but I, I would love to share the answer to that. The answer to that, what I, and I tell women this when they want to see it in their sons or see it in a man who's done wrong and, you want to, and he says he's changed, he's going to do, do better. What I look for, and I taught my son this, I say, um, I say, you look for what I call a hot man, okay? Now, the reason why I say hot, H-O-T, there's is, um, three letters, and this is what I look for. One, mm-hmm. humility. I look for humility. Is there brokenness? Does he realize he needs help he can't do it by himself? Is he surrendered and submitted to Christ? You show, I don't care how successful a man is, if he's not humbled in his spirit, then I'm not following him. That's what attracted me to Howard. Howard has no... There was no um, pretense about Howard. There was no, he thought he was better than anybody else. He's just a humble man. Matter of fact, he's not on social media. Um, he, I, I, I can't even get on my, on my radio show. <laughs> That's how humble he is because he just doesn't want to wow. be put in the spotlight about anything. But um, I'm not saying to that extreme like Howard, but I look for humility. I said, hot man, oh, is, is he obedient to Christ? In other words, who is he following? Is he going on his own instincts? Or is he obeying God's command? You know, my thing is I tell my wife and my children, don't follow me if you don't see God over my shoulder. Mm. Only look to if you got to make sure you follow. I know my wife can submit and surrender to me because she knows who I'm submitted and surrendered to. So when I tell my wife, I love you to death, and I would love for you to submit to me. But when you see me not follow him, stop following me. And so I look for a man who's obedient. You want to see that he's growing that means he's now obeying God's word more than he's disobeying it because we're never going to do it perfectly, but he has a heart to obey. He has a heart. He wants to please God. Everything he does is about, about pleasing God. And then the T stands for trust. Does he trust God? So we're talking about a humble man, obedient, and but trust. When I say trust, that when I call it, what does he go to when he's at his worst? I tell people, if you want to know what your God is, Look at what you run to the most when you're feeling your worst. And so with a man who I see is growing, when he's struggling with addiction, I'm not saying he's not growing. No. What does he run to when he's struggling with his addiction? Does he run back to the crack pipe? Does he run to pornography? Or does he run to Christ? See, I'm not looking for a perfect man. I'm looking for a broken man who knows his help comes from the Lord. So does he trust in God? When he's struggling with his finances, 
who does he go to? Does he go to trying to look at the get rich quick kind of thing, or does he trust God by saying, God, I'm going to still pay my tithes. <laughs> you know, I'm still going to trust you with my finances. Who does he put his trust in when he's struggling in his relationships? Is he going to another female, or is he going to his boys, or is he going to the cross first? And then he's allowing men to speak into his life who are giving him godly counsel. So he has to be humble, obedient, and he has to trust God. And those are great indicators that a man is growing in Christ. Pastor, are you there? Hello? Pastor Neil? Yeah. 